0: Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jew3 Project, and I'm so excited that you've taken the time to listen to another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. We want to give a special thank you to our financial partners. We could not do what we do without you. We have been able to reach tens of thousands of people across the globe through our podcasts, social media outlets, online courses, curriculum, conference, and events, and tours because of your generous support. If you aren't a monthly partner, please consider partnering with us at ju 3 projectorg by hitting the Donate tab. There's an option to give online or to mail in your gift. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Every gift you give helps equip. Remember, our online course is now available at learn.jew3project.org. Our new curriculum, Through Eyes of Color, a contextualized guide to helping you know what you believe and why, is available on Amazon and at througheyesofcolor.com and at Jewthruproject.org. We thank you for listening and your support and your prayers. We're able to do what we do because of people like you. Thank you so much, and we hope that this episode blesses you. Have a great day. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. I'm so excited to bring to you another special guest who's no stranger to the Jew3 Project. She's been on here before. Um, Dr. Cynthia James. Welcome, Dr. James.
1: Thank you. And I'm glad to be back with you again.
0: Thank you for uh, joining us again during this uh, bizarre time we're experiencing. It's different. Very unique.
1: <laughs> we don't want it to repeat.
0: So for our audience who may not be familiar with you, just give them a little bit bit of background about yourself.
1: Oh, okay, I'm pleased to do that. Um, Probably been in ministry approaching 40 years. Uh, Most of, well, I should say pastoral ministry, a little shy of 40 years. And um, since 2012, I've been blessed to be a part of the uh, pastoral staff of the Potter's House. Before that, I served as a senior pastor, primarily in California. Preceding that, I was a psychology professor, and I trust there's a blend of uh, practical theology, I hope, and as I study and as I share. I'm a mother and wife of 50 some years, and very much still a student.
0: Awesome. Well, I wanted to have you on to talk about uh, our times because I know I, I call you often. To vent about life, and uh, when I think it's a crisis, uh, you, sometimes when I talk to you, you remind me that it's not a crisis.
1: <laughs> but we're starting to see one now, aren't we? It puts yeah. everything in perspective.
0: <laughs> but I, I, I love talking to you about things Thank because you. you're in a different life chapter. So you've been where i where I am, and you always remind me not to think emotionally, but to think strategically about about things. So I I really appreciate that um, about our conversations. Um, And when you think of the time we're in, kind of what are the first first thoughts that come to your mind?
1: Um, I don't know that you want us to say again what the times are, I assume you'll show this fairly uh, soon Mm
0: -hmm. that you'll be
1: sharing this conversation. But it's a time where I think we don't settle and cannot afford to settle uh, for fake news, for cheap alternatives, uh, for abbreviated options. It's a time where uh, all of our hearts have to be turned toward one another. Our priorities are being reshuffled. Uh, what was important is no longer important. Um, what uh, we have forgotten to do is coming back in our consciousness in terms of more ways to seek the lord even if we felt like we were serving him Uh, we've stepped up our communion in our home Uh, we've increased some things that we probably should have increased before Uh, so it's given us an extra sense of uh, i guess self-consciousness and we can't help we don't want to see uh every branch that moves as a message from god and every uh wind that comes as a Demons working, but we do want to be sensitive and not miss the voice of God in His direction. So I don't try to give the global prescriptions that others um, more insightful than I am have, but I'm certainly poised to hear and to speak. And I see the Lord bringing us back and not just returning us, but uh, having us to see differently the people in our lives, more appreciation for our ability to gather and to collect and to sound out his word, not just to read it, but to sound it out um, in terms of its direction for us.
0: Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Many people, I think, are feeling hopeless mm-hmm. um, in this time there and fearful, uh, because if you watch the news uh, for any amount of time, it could be depressing, um, looking That's at right. what's going on in Italy, looking at what's going on in the States mm-hmm. and globally, and having your freedoms restricted. And then on top of that, if you live in a home where you don't uh, like the people you live with, I remember when I, <laughs> yeah. when I was talking to you when this first happened and uh, the first thing you said to me, people better like who they live with. Better like it. <laughs> Learn to like it. Learn to love it. Yeah. Um, for people who are feeling that hopeless feeling, um, Christians who are feeling that hopeless because it's not just unbelievers; it's it's believers who are feeling hope, a sense of hopelessness. What what would you what would you tell them?
1: That uh, hope is not something that only survives when things are are going well, but hope is designed, I believe, in the midst of trouble. When we talk about hope, we're talking about a sense of anticipation. We're talking about a sense of expectation, and our expectation is not coming from organizations and systems but our ultimate expectation is coming from our confidence in God's word. What has God said? What has he promised? And it is in that truth that we are trusting. So it is an anticipation, it is an expectation that the promises of God will ultimately be fulfilled and that the truth of his word is something that we can rely on. Uh, It's true that uh, believers and unbelievers alike uh, are going to have to fan away and we're, none of us, I think, are exempt from that feelings of extreme doubt and fear, because these are different times. And most of us don't have a schema for living in this kind of a circumstance. Um, so knowing that hope uh, exists in the Lord and in what God has provided through Christ, I think it's important to differentiate hope from optimism. Hope is not just a positive outlook. It's not just um, whistling a happy tune, as it were. Uh, It's not a matter of saying, if I think positive, if I think smarter, if I try harder, then everything is going to be all right. Uh, Hope is something that I think fundamentally does not emerge out of our life and our own experiences. I think uh, the scripture says that God is the God of hope. So the constitution of hope uh, is is a God constitution, Mm. the substance of hope, the factors of hope the making of hope emanates and arises out of who God is in our everyday life. So uh, one can have hope uh, without sounding so optimistic because it's a trust and anticipation. One can have hope and not be disappointed because they're not as smart or thinking as harder or whatever that they want to label themselves with. So uh, I've heard from uh, just yesterday, I think it was, A first responder, someone who has a long history in training nurses for disaster situations, a regional nurse in another part of the country. And um, because of what they see is a lack of equipment and um, protection during this pandemic, uh, and fear was taking hold of them as they're trying to instill confidence in others that they're rendering them a good service and a sound right service. And uh, she was asking, let's pray, pray with me as believers, because a lot of my nurses do not have that kind of a foundation of faith. So it's a time for us to be on guard. And even when bad news comes on top of bad news, and we're hearing about thousands of deaths uh, and cases of uh, uh, incidences of disease are rising rapidly, hope is not conditioned, fashioned or shaped by what is happening in the circumstances.
0: That is that is very helpful. Um, I think also when we think about hope and faith, people think when they fear, they're in a space of a complete lack of faith. That mm-hmm. the feeling, fear is a feeling that will come constantly, but that doesn't mean that you lack faith in God. Mm-hmm. Um, do you follow what I'm saying?
1: I think I do. I think you're saying that um, to have faith or to have hope, it's not just an even level ground and a continuum that just you know has no variation in it, no highs, no lows, no peaks, mm-hmm. um, that our, our faith can be strengthened. And the very fact that the scriptures talk to us about our faith being strengthened um, lets us know that we can have it, but it can be stronger, mm-hmm. um, that it can grow, that it can take more root. So while we have faith and it can be strengthened, our hope can be strengthened, we still can be experiencing some shakiness in the boat. The boat's on the water, it's not sinking, but it sure can rock. Um, It can be assailed by by the wind. And I think that happens to us when we're going through the toughest of times.
0: Um, and it, for um, I was having a, a conversation earlier and I was thinking about how the coronavirus is a very equal, it's an equalizer for us.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, My pastor was saying everyone now has a, a small church that, that's abiding by the recommendations to shelter in or whatever. Um, and so we're not measuring our standards have changed. I probably cut you off, but we're not measuring who how many people are there and, and or even the size of the gifts. I hope we never were were measuring um, triumph and victory in Christ by those things. But the temptation to measure by those, for those who who are subject to that, should be removed. Um, We're not judging ourselves by whether there's 50 people or 100 people, or 1,500 people or 4,000, because these things are not in our control. And if we learn that so much that we think we are impacting is really not in our control to start with, I think we'd have a lot more peace.
0: Yeah. That's it it really uh chops away at our illusion of control.
1: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
0: because we never really had control. It's it's funny, yeah. um, you know, I was going on the uh tour and I was saying uh to people, Yeah, I'm gonna be on the road for two months straight. I'm gonna be <laughs> and I thought yeah. <laughs> and it really made me think about that scriptures, um, you know, say if it's the Lord's will, I'll do yeah. this or that. And I- I'm saying more of
1: by the grace of God. You know, <laughs> I grew up hearing that all the time. Now it is more than just peppering my conversation because I'm thinking of how tentatively I can, how little I can foresee, um, because I don't know about tomorrow. And sufficient today is the evil thereof, quoting King James. So I, I hear you. Yeah,
0: uh-huh. um, it's it's funny because I was thinking not only is corona the great equalizer but the cross is at the cross Absolutely. we yeah. are not rich your your uh, economic status doesn't matter your race doesn't matter your geography doesn't matter mm-hmm. and the same thing with corona nothing matters we all are your,
1: your continent is not exempt uh, mm-hmm. the level of your uh, nuclear armament it does not exempt um and, and it's it's wonderful because it it builds a kind of um Potentially, theoretically, I think a kind of brotherhood and sisterhood that perhaps would not come or unity or harmony, potentially, I'm saying, um, were it not for the leveling of some of these other things that that tend to blind us, blind us, you know, like economic status or social status or or training. Uh, I'm listening more. I want to hear I don't I don't I can't say that's a worldwide experience, and I'm sure I'm still missing a lot of things, but it's helping me to remember that I'm the things that I said as cliches are more than true. you know being a work in progress, not knowing about tomorrow, uh, having hope to one day be perfected. Um, being more um, I don't want to use the word confident because it's not not I don't want to say that people should be less confident in themselves but learning how better to live with uncertainty, Mm -hmm. learning how better to grapple with paradox, Um, to be on continents where we think we have so many answers and in countries where we boast of having so much and then find we're so weak uh, and so limited, Uh, to be concerned about our own wounds and the wounds of others in a whole new way,
0: yeah. That's helpful because I think the thing that's been the most uh, frustrating and giving me the most anxiety at this is not knowing when it's going to be over. Um,
1: yeah,
0: it's yeah. like you know, you tell me you know they have the two week band of not doing anything, but it's like
1: <laughs> yeah, fifteen days. We're almost halfway through fifteen days,
0: and they'll, <laughs> two they'll months, be like, four well, then it's a couple months, and that uncertainty yeah. is mm-hmm. it brings anxiety to my heart. Uh, if I think about it too long, because it's like, if, if you told me I had to do this for two weeks, okay, I know at two weeks, everything's mm-hmm. gonna go back to normal, but it's like, mm-hmm. you don't even know if there's gonna, obviously there's gonna be a new normal after this.
1: It's it's a new world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And um, it's just, it that brings, I think, anxiety uh, to not know when it's going to be over.
1: It has the tendency to bring anxiety to all of us, And that's why we put our trust in the promise of God, because with all of that, he'll let us know that we won't be tempted or we won't suffer beyond that which we're able to bear. So however long it lasts, we have the confidence in knowing that he has made it possible for us to endure to his praise and to his glory. Um, My prayers this week have been, Lord, I don't know. I don't even know what to ask. I don't know. I really just don't know. So they haven't been very eloquent for sure. They're not cathedral sounds, but it is it is more confessional than ever. Um, and we recognize those um, dark uh, images of anxiety and doubt and fear and forlornness. And um, there's a, a prospective bride in our family. And all the planning, all the details, all the matching materials and getting attendance ready and paying for catering and um, everything goes into bride work, you know, having the, and this work too. And now all of a sudden eh, can't even get a marriage license in the county. So it, it reminds us of, you know, when we were used to be told to wear the world loosely or to wear it like a loose garment, you know, to get involved, but not too involved be happy, but don't get over happy, be sad, but don't get immersed in sadness, because all of those are passing conditions. And um, it's it's important. But I think we're at a place where uh, life has called us to a new level of attention, uh, a new level of alertness, um, a new level of self-consciousness, hopefully, and consciousness of others.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that consciousness of others is, I think, a challenge. I was just in, having an interview with um, a, a, an apologist in South Africa mm-hmm. and he was talking about uh, the communal aspect of this. And I was like, they're probably I told him, you guys are probably better equipped to handle the communal aspect because y'all have a communal society already in the world more individualized. So you see the, the students on the beach and they're like, please get off the beach. And they're like, Oh, why? It, it's this not. Is my <laughs> spring break.
1: <laughs> yeah, but You know, the conversation goes so much further than that because right now the dialogue is steeped in this issue of, well, if a few people die, and I don't just say this because I'm one of the elders, at least I hope that I have more motivation than that. But if a few people die so that a younger generation can have the benefit of the economy, the Make America Great Again, uh, a Better World Society, then it's worth it. Uh, someone made a comment, uh, I didn't hear it exactly, but what grandparent wouldn't sacrifice and give their life up? Now, they just said for their grandchild, I could get it, but it was for um, to be able to return to work and let's, you know, kind of abandon some of our safe practices we put in to try to uh, limit this pandemic. So, The ethic has, I'm not sure the ethic changed. I almost think it's been there all the time. It's just Uh, the kinds of things I say about racism and sexism. But now there's permission to voice it, that Mm. these lives are expendable. These are not expendable. Um, Let's send the 40 and under, which is causing me to chuckle, because I know people in their mid-40s that thought that some would say 40 and under is potentially one model. Let's send them back to work and keep the others out. I can see my 40 some year old children going, What? You know, just thinking about, you mean I'm over that line? Um, I, I um, have a son who went to the uh, uh, emergency room, has the virus, and uh, major breathing difficulty, um, fever, day eight or so since uh, having been uh, determined positive. It was believed the contact was made in the uh, airport he was exposed, um, but was told, we can't help you, because he didn't fit the protocol of being 65 or older. His breathing was horrendous. He just wanted some oxygen or some help, um, but that's a premium right now. And he was willing not to have them deal with the fever, um, but because he was ambulatory, he could move. He could, he could stand up and walk. The protocol was that you have to not be able to walk, be over 65. Uh, he had an underlying condition, and he was told, we can't help you, and sent away. So people in their 40s who maybe have not confronted their mortality, or in their 30s or 20s, are being forced to confront it. Uh, I heard someone in the, uh, that their group of younger persons, I call younger, 30s and 40s, saying, you know, we better get our will together. We better make talk about how to talk to our children about the end of life if they hadn't already done so. So it's turned things upside down, don't you think?
0: Definitely turned things upside down. I think people are just there. They don't know what to do. Um, And they're like you said, should I put a get a wheel set up? Should I, you know, I, I because I travel. Before I traveled so much, I was in the airport so much before this started going on. I'm cautious to go sure you are. visit my grandparents, uh, you know, because I don't, want, I don't know if I'm a carrier, mm-hmm. and I don't want to. I know they have underlying health issues, and I don't want to expose them um, to it. So it's just, it's, it's a very uh, interesting time. But I do think, like you're, like you're saying, it it, it exposes our ethics. Uh, it does. Uh And
1: and probably what we come up with as solutions, these are just my thoughts, they may be far from right, is not anything new or different. Trusting God, standing on the word, praying, loving people, loving one another, all the one another scriptures. I don't think we're coming up with something that wasn't already a part of our value system. I think what we're coming up with is what we already believed in, what we already said we wanted to do anyway. It's just putting it right
0: in front of our eyes. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm um when when we think about getting people to think about other people other than themselves mm-hmm. um especially people who aren't believers it seems to be little or no incentive for them to do so if they don't in their in their minds in the way they process things to think about Others, in a way, I, I hope I'm making sense in, in that thought uh, for like those young people who were on the beach. It was like, you know, live for today, live for the moment. There was no incentive outside of maybe a family. They could be a potential carrier, but there was no incentive for them to live outside of themselves based on the worldview that they held. Um,
1: And, and we'd be careful, too, that we're not too tough on a generation. Um. Because we all who are beyond that generation passed through that generation, and at some point, uh, hopefully, we we moved from being having you know such supersized egos at a reasonable time. But the reality is, I think we grow in becoming less egotistical. Mm. Um, it, it's painful to see and hear, but it wasn't just so much that they, um, that perhaps those persons on the beach. We're not thinking of others, but they weren't thinking of themselves. They didn't have a right self estimation that I could be a carrier, not just for others, or that I could become uh, deathly ill. Uh, uh, I I don't know how the young. They said a child died today in Los Angeles. It's heartbreaking, um, but we don't have anything to compare this to. So um, the you know. I don't like it whenever I go resort to this and I say, well, at least the dialogue is happening. At least there's a conversation now that's an intergenerational conversation, Either, even if I, neither side cares for what the other one is saying, at least the dialogue is taking place. And I get very little solace in that, um, but, but it had to come to the surface. Mm-hmm. I missed your question altogether as I began to ruminate. So you may have to ask your
0: question again. <laughs> no, it's 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 fine. I was just wondering how can we get people to think about mm-hmm. others um, outside of themselves, um, especially before the experience of life comes. It it seems like you you're saying that if you you it's it's really a, a thing of growth and experience um and life chapters that you you become. Hopefully, less egotistical. Unless, yeah. unless, hopefully, unless yeah. you're you're 45, uh, the our, our 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 current president. Yeah. We,
1: we hear we hear major voices coming from all kinds of places, even mm-hmm. some journalists and others that are talking about human life is expendable. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's the children on the border, or whether it's elderly persons at risk for uh, uh, coronavirus, or, or whether it's the unlearned or whether it's people of color, or whether it's women, or whether it's gays, um, whatever whatever group it is, we find that this conversation takes place, that there is a a devaluing of life. Um, And I think one of the things we have to do is we just have to counter the messages. I think the messages have increased um, uh, exponentially so, not just about the virus, but just it's okay. It's okay that we tear children away from parents. It's okay if children are in cages, like we don't want our chickens in cages. We don't, we want eggs from uncaged chickens, but it's okay to put the babies there. Now that's an oversimplification, uh, simplification. But I think somehow we have to bombard the air with a counter message because whether it's in commercials or in a, uh, Distorted history books, or just on the landscape uh, as we look around our lives, life is devalued, just so much so, at, mm-hmm. at every age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's that sense—it's that sense of privilege that I deserve this space and others don't. Um, and we can decry it sometimes when we're people of color, when it's others, but we must decry it whenever it shows up.
0: Mm-hmm. That's helpful, and I do think um, intergenerational uh, relationships is vital uh, because I think if you don't have those intergenerational relationships, you won't where where there's relationships value sh- usually emerges. So if you I think so. if you just have intergenerational relationships with parents or grandparents or sometimes people don't have healthy relationships with their grandparents or parents and the only people they have healthy are somewhat healthy relationships with peers then they only value those peer-to-peer relationships and they only tend to be people their age and then there could be a you know devaluing of other people just based on problematic relationships they have with their own uh families um so It is, I think, relationships uh, helps too. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, I was on a symposium not long ago and um, oh, my attitude was so ugly. I found myself growing increasingly impatient with uh, younger scholars who were giving these bottom line statements like, it's always like this and it's always like that. And these persons have gotten their degree and their money and abandoned the community and I'm going, what? You know, didn't we hear this in the early 60s? Are we going back that far? Um, so I asked one person, I said, well, where do you live? They said, well, my church is in the hood. I said, but well, where do you live? My house is in, I have a house in the hood. I said, but where do you live? And I think it's, um, and so they didn't want to say, because everybody knew they lived in a very comfortable setting, and we don't spite them for that. They can afford it. That's fine. But we want to watch giving these pronouncements um, that are narrow prescriptions of how people must look or dress or where they live, that that says who they are at their core. Um, And I I was about to just, well, I did get a little frustrated. Um, (laughs) I had something in my hand. I threw it up in the air on the camera. (laughs) But then I thought about, but I remember being as adamant uh, and adamant in uh, Undergraduate school and in graduate school, uh, as we were going through the 60s and 70s, of uh, who understood the cause and who didn't understand the cause, and I judged them by what they wore and uh, they did their hair a certain way, and we were up in the trees when the FBI was on campus, and you know we were in that generation that chained ourselves in buildings, not thinking about how we were going to get out, and um, so. You know, some of that I think is a natural course of things. But you said the key word, hopefully, and I with exposure and with grounding, because all these things are going to change—a new pandemic, a new language, new buzzwords. Um, but if we ground in the promise of God, that's the only thing that doesn't change. If we can ground ourselves in the promises of God, I think we we
0: stand to be in good shape then. <clears throat> what what scriptures? Ground you in times like these?
1: Um, Well, there are many, but um, without me telling you exactly where it's found, the fact that that God is called the God of hope, that that says it all. Uh, Psalms 119, I'm trying to think what verse it is. I think it's around verse 114. It talks about, um, You are my hiding place. I guess King James says, Thou art my hiding place. And it goes on to say, I think you're a shield. I wanna say a shield and a wall, might say a shield and a buckler, but it says, I hope in your word. Um, That's one translation, that's in Psalms 119. And then the one I referenced lightly before about um, that the temptations that we have are only those that are such as common to man and that uh, the Lord will with every temptation and temptation, not a temptation to steal or temptation to rob, but but that thing that grates and wears away in our spirit and that would cause us to lose our confidence, our footing, and our trust in God, uh, that He will make a way of escape. See, if I don't have an expectation, and the scripture talks about we don't have, we don't hope for things we can see. Otherwise, it's not hope. So we're hoping and we have a full expectation and a desire to see the things of God manifested before our eyes and fulfilled, not always in our lifetime which i say sadly sometimes it's it's going to be in another age and another lifetime but we we have that confidence that god will do what god said he would do hallelujah so we begin just saying your word is nigh thee the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and that word it's in our heart that's the word that's going to keep us i'm going to start on scriptures because i'll just keep going down but every word of the lord is true and there's strength in all of his words I enjoy talking to you cuz you let me talk too much. Thanks. <laughs>
0: um so to switch gears just a little bit um to ask this question uh people are in spaces they're either alone in isolation or they're in a space where they're um battling they may be battling mental illness and you you have um obviously experience in psycho, psycho- psychology, um, you being a professor, um, I was talking to one of my friends, and she leads discipleship at a church, and one of the girls mm-hmm. she's discipling ba- battles uh, paranoia, p- mm-hmm. paranoia, schizophrenia, and now is in the house by herself, and she was like, I'm trying to figure out how to minister to her, because she's by herself in that space, and now, not, there's not, you know, that, that's a very rare case, but there are people that are struggling with mental illnesses, whether anxiety, depression, and this seems to make their situation worse, um, not not better. How how would you advise us who are ministering to them, and also them that may be listening that are struggling with anxiety, depression, um, and different mental illnesses to navigate this time in in isolation?
1: Um, several things. Let me give a disclaimer first that I'm not a clinician, so I want to be very careful in saying that. Did a lot of work with uh, therapeutic environments and persons on different uh, continuums and scales of what we call mental illness, but I'm not a clinician myself. But from that background of being a researcher in the area and from pastoral care, um, what we're trying to do is not just mentor, but model a level of peace That comes from the Lord, um, because that is a sure stabilizer. I think we have to recognize that uh, some of the anxiety, it's not just made up. It has a a legitimate cause. It's a justifiable anxiety. So we don't want to over uh, label ourselves or others or see it all as a disorder um, because maybe sleep is different than it had been. There's more insomnia or the appetite has changed. We don't want to be too quick. to to jump to that because there's certainly enough going on to disturb regular living patterns. Um, But at the same time, we want to uh, prepare and anticipate. I know evening is coming. So what am I going to do? I'm not going to listen to every coronavirus um, report. I'm not going to listen all day and all night. I'm not going to have three different channels and surf the channels. I'm going to find those things that are coming to me. Now, for me, I like to put the TV on and put on light classical music and I can rest. I may not I read or may not read, but that settles me. It's not necessarily hymns, but I just like light like classical music and it creates an environment that I find very restful. So we need to find those things. I uh, have another acquaintance who wants to do all our calls now at all, but a great deal of them and FaceTime because it's 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 a different level of touch. We're reminded that service doing something for someone else, even if it's walking a senior uh, over the phone, you're walking them through how to use their iPhone, which I still need to know how to use my iPhone, but more has more features than I can imagine, or helping them order their groceries, or just letting them know what things are involved. That brings others closer in our world and puts us in theirs, that level of interaction. And so there is always something, I think healing and helpful, about service and responsiveness and listening. This is a great time to read to people online, not online, over the phone or through some audio mechanism to seniors that are confined. Um, I said to my husband, I, I don't usually see the kids playing outside in Texas. I, I moved to Texas I thought the weather was warm and everybody lived outside. But between the bugs and the heat and whatever, they tend to live indoors. But I've there are seen parents on sidewalks coloring and doing chalk things uh, with their children in the driveway. I've seen neighbors, I wondered who lived in their house outside uh, with their children playing basketball. So we can redefine what community is. And uh, I was asking myself, boundaries have changed. So what are the new boundaries? What What is okay? Um, it must be okay now to get texts at 2, 3, and 4 in the morning because I'm getting them all day and all night. So I guess that's the new boundary I have to adjust to but but maybe someone that we wouldn't approach, we now would approach. Maybe someone we would have rebuffed before, we we have a little more understanding that maybe they're reaching out for a different reason. Um, so I think we we this is a wonderful opportunity to redefine the parameters of our world, um, and to do it in a way that gives us to know that God is a God of comfort, but we also can create some things that bring us consolation and comfort in this time. I'm, I find people who um, have a loss, they're in seasons of grief during this time and it's difficult for them to fly, um, can't get to funerals. We've had two losses, uh, close losses, and it wasn't expedient to travel, um, that we had to find other ways to memorialize and to try to bring closure. So it challenges our thinking and it gives us something else to talk about with other people and say, well, what, what would you suggest I do in doing this? How, how do you think uh, we can do this? I've changed some some things that are sitting around my house um, just because it brings me comfort. I rearranged some photos. Um, I have moved what, you know, old folks have coffee tables and what's on the coffee table is real important. i got different <laughs> things that, that remind me that I, I must stay rooted and grounded in the Lord.
0: So, yeah, that's that's helpful. Um, it's funny because I, I think that um, one of the, like I mentioned earlier at when this started, I think those talking to you often helps me think of things in a way that is not where things aren't so um, aren't they aren't so scary because you've uh-uh. experienced life. Um, in a way that I'm still trying to experience it. But, um,
1: don't let me sound overconfident. I don't have this <laughs> thing together, but we. But I
0: do think it. you have more, a little bit more confidence sometimes than when I talk to my peers, because mm-hmm. you're 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 all in the same life chapter and everything is coming at you the same way, and that's one reason why I think, as I mentioned earlier as well, intergenerational relationships are so important.
1: They're important. I um. I know you're trying to end this, my parents, my mother would have been a post-depression child. So I grew up seeing her make something out of everything. I mean, it it got to be a little extreme. (laughs) If there there was a a box of uh, detergent tied, when it was empty, it was cut in half and it became a holder for something. Uh, Dishwashing liquid became a holder for the magazines. That was everything had a dual, triple, quadruple purpose. And it's been interesting because now I'm saying, okay, if my mother was here, she'd make a face mask, one with the plastic shield. So I'm out doing these things um, and I'm going, if I can't get to the store to get this, this is what I can substitute. I'm doing more of my recipes from scratch. Um, You know, I'm not worried if I don't have corn muffin mix, I know how to make cornbread. So it's been interesting to fall back on some things that I saw in a generation that had a make-do attitude, um, you know, whatever whatever you need, you're gonna find a way to make it happen. Uh, and so that that is a, a good thing for us, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's extremely helpful. Do you have time for one more question?
1: I've got time <laughs> <laughs> because I'm working from home and we've done our, our recordings for today.
0: So, I think a lot of people are in spaces. This is the first time they've spent this much time with the people they even live with, um because you could you could live with someone and keep missing each other based on schedules, um even if you're married to them, even if they're your child. Um, and so now it's forced people to actually do life with the people they live with in a way that they've never had to before and that spend time and it is driving people bonkers. And okay. um my friend was like he was in his apartment and he already saw a couple outside yelling. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's he's it like some relationships aren't gonna make it through corona. Um, yeah, that's and- true.
1: In the divorce court, what happened? Okay. We had to live in the same house.
0: Yeah. Um How would you advise people to navigate through conflict? um, Is this
1: background noise bothering you?
0: No. Our
1: grass is being cut, so (laughs) it's getting kind of loud. Um, It's bothering me. Um, Say the last part again. How would I advise people what?
0: Who are dealing with conflict in this space where you can't escape.
1: I'm going to move.
0: Okay. I think it's important to still keep some personal
1: space. Not to get, now that's hard to do. It's easier to do if you've got two bedrooms as opposed to a studio but at least have some time and some space that, okay, this is time where I want to sit and read a book or I just want to sit and stare at the wall or uh, I don't want to be in constant dialogue. I think even in a smart, smaller space, it's possible to be considerate and to carve out some opportunity to find, um, it's not aloneness, but that space that really appeals to whatever the rhythm is of one person's life. So if it's like, I'm gonna sit at the kitchen counter now and you sit in the chair and then later on I get the chair. So it's not always just, um, cause that's too, I think that's too much of a, a change to make too quickly where everyone has to be right in everyone's face and every minute. So to still carve out some time or some space, um, if you're sheltering like we are, they still permit walking, walks alone and walks together. Um, not in groups, but but one or two people, I think, is still very much allowed. And I, maybe it's just me, I'm not a hiker, but I find walking really psychologically renewing.
0: Mm-hmm. That's helpful. What about conflict resolution in times like this? Uh, it's its height, emotions are, are heightened.
1: I don't know if this is working with me trying to hold the screen, but I think some things we can decide don't have to re- be resolved while we're in the height of stress. So we need to maybe put those in a hierarchy and say, this we can decide and work on three months from now. Every, You know, it's kind of like weddings and funerals. I always say whatever is boiling beneath the surface is going to come up in a wedding or funeral. And I think under these kinds of times, things bubble to the surface that have been latent and beneath the surface a long time, they start coming out. You know, I always thought you messed up the toothpaste or burnt the bread or whatever the issue is. And those are not really critical issues. So we can learn to postpone some of those things, maybe by writing them in a notebook or tablet, it gets it out. But we agree, I'm not. if I ever address this, it's not gonna be now. So I think we can mediate what gets released in a closed space during a tense time um, and so, not trying to resolve all of Critical things, yes. You know, everybody's moving in the same space. Maybe some, two people are trying to work on the computer for their job, or and there's only one um, electronic device for them to use, so there has to be worked out a schedule. But I think those things can be resolved if we have an attitude of this is, we believe, it's, it may never go back to the old way, but we believe this is normal. I bet I have this, am I standing on my head the way the screen is moving? I don't know. If no, it's mine. It's- okay, with <laughs> the noise that was going on outside, it was yeah. a little bit hard. But, um, so making hierarchy of uh, things that really need to be resolved now and things that can wait till later, and then uh, doing it with a sense of consideration You know, those kindergarten things about learning to share and take turns, they're really real. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Today we'll do it your way, next week, maybe we'll do it my way. Mm -hmm. That's how I think uh, controlling the the emotion that's in one's voice is extremely important. Um, And we're finding that since we have the the relative, that's my son that's so ill, because I tend to put all the urgency in. What do you mean they didn't let him go? They wouldn't put him on a ventilator. What do you mean they put him out of the hospital? And I'm going, okay, back down, Sylvia, back it down, you know, bring it down a notch because I couldn't fix anything at that moment. So, you know, just trying to put some self-controls in.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that's really helpful because people are um, reaching out to uh, their, this is a time where people are reaching out to people they've had uh, maybe uh uh, challenging relationships with that uh, They've had family relationships. This is causing them maybe to reach out and then that could go South or depending. Oh, yeah.
1: It can go away <laughs> South. We, we don't want to repeat the Thanksgiving dinner where there's a person in the family coming to dinner that you dread them coming. We don't want to relive that every day because we're in close proximity now. That that's not going to work.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's extremely helpful uh, for us to know. Um, is there anything else you would like to share uh, on this topic of hope uh, before before we close out?
1: I, I love to talk, so we just have to stop with me. Uh, <laughs> and maybe, and that's not just a condition of the coronavirus season. I enjoy, enjoy t- and talking to you, and it always brings new thoughts and new perspectives to me. Um, so I find conversation with you very enriching. And I don't say that out of some mutual admiration, you know, uh, kind of exchange, but very sincerely. Um I think we are going step by step. uh, The thing I want to say more than anything is that where we thought we couldn't slow time down, time has slowed down. Mm. Uh, You might've asked me a while ago, I got this to do. I got that to do. I got this to do. Can't slow down. I got to meet the schedule. Got to be here. Got to be at the church. Got to do this counseling session. And now time has slowed down. It really has because so, so many of the options are not available to me. So I have time to finish the reading, time to finish the study, time to do the writing, um, and and that's a good thing. Yeah, it's really good to have time slowed for us.
0: That's helpful. Uh, yeah. Even though time is slowed down for me, it's the the challenging thing is I feel like it's hard for me to concentrate because it's so, so much. Yeah, it's like it's oh a lot of God, stress, yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, at one time. Um, so it, it's hard to do like simple tasks. Like I'm like yeah. I just. Um, And that's, I guess, because like you said, the stress of it all and the overwhelming Mm -hmm. and uh, the the
1: focus. Yeah. mm -hmm. And I find sometimes I'm doing something and I have to say, OK, complete this, be deliberate about it before you go to the next thing. Yeah, I get that.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. This has been so helpful. Um,
1: I hope it's useful.
0: Thank you all for listening to another episode of the G 3 Project podcast. We're so excited that you tuned in. Remember, you could get our new curriculum through Eyes of Color, um, a contextualized guide to help you know what you believe and why, and take our online course. All of that is available at g 3 projectorg And if you um, want to help uh, us better... If you want us to help us uh, and become a financial partner, you can do so at jude3project.org by hitting the donate tab. As always here at the Jude 3 Project, we'll help you to know what you believe and why you believe it. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune in to all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher,